Welcome back to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, the podcast where we discover what skills can help you live your best life. I am your host, Kelly Ryan Bailey, and each week I chat with inspiring visionaries about the skills that make them successful. You'll get a firsthand account of how they develop those skills, as well as their innovative approaches to improving skills-based hiring and learning around the world. Now, let's talk about skills, baby. This week, I'm joined by Margot Carnes. Margot has had a global career delivering large-scale transformation projects for multinationals and governments. She has presented on leadership and change at the World Economic Forum and shared a stage with Hillary Clinton and Queen Rania of Jordan in NewYorkCitiesWomenFuture.com. Working as a coach and advisor to boards and top teams in Europe, Asia, the United States, and Australia, Margot has used her compelling approach to strategy development to help leaders widen and deepen their thinking, develop creativity, effectively problem solve, and develop stronger, more robust stakeholder relationships. Through applying her transformational skills strategy formula and culture change, she has helped the top teams and boards of Fletcher Challenge, Energy, BP, and Amico Oil to name a few. Margot has mentored distinguished industry leaders, including Paul Anderson, MD of BHP Billington, Les Shirato, MD of Cantarella Brothers Group, Greg Gailey, chairman of Caltex and former president of the BCA, and Dr. Rolf Stromberg, global MD of BP Oil. Hopefully I got close to those pronunciations. Thumbs up. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. She is an international best-selling author with six books on transformational leadership. She addresses Fortune 500 chief executive officers and directors, global political leaders, and members of international think tanks, as well as organizations which include BHP Billington, Reserve Bank of Australia, Alcoa, NAB, and Levi Strauss. The American Biographical Institute has named Margot one of the great minds of the 21st century. David Williamson, who is Australia's leading playwright, even based his play Corporate Vibes on Margot's book, Peaceful Chaos. She is an internationally recognized expert on navigating complex change and wicked problems derived from major disruptions, including AI, cybersecurity, automation, and big data. Margot, my goodness, this is amazing. But honestly, the first question that just came to my mind was, when I just described wicked problems, is that just what it means? Like crazy problems? (laughs) Or does that mean something in particular? It's a technical term. We used to have tame problems. So tame problems are you know what the problem is, you can solve it, you can measure that you've solved it, you can watch someone solving it and learn and do better next time. However, a wicked problem, you don't even know what the problem is because every stakeholder thinks the problem's a different problem. So the example I give is brain surgery is a tame problem. Really hard, really complicated, takes years to train, an amazingly complex tame problem. Changing the health system as you guys know in America, is a wicked problem. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Everybody sees it as different, whether you're a Democrat or a Republic, whether you're an old person, a young person, whether you're an alternative practitioner, a nurse, a doctor, a patient, whatever, maybe someone with a disability. Everybody sees the problem differently. So if you can't even define the problem, how can you know if you've solved it or not? Yeah. That's a wicked problem. 
Okay. And because the world is getting more complex, because the world is more connected, more and more and more of our problems are wicked. Now, the problem is most of us are trained to solve pain problems. Mm. Right? That's what I've got all these degrees. They're all in solving pain problems. They're not in solving wicked problems. Whereas when I was up working at that very top end of business globally, all the problems were wicked. They were all wicked. Mm. So we had to find whole new ways of dealing with them. Well, tell us, like, what are some of these whole new ways of dealing with these types of problems that you've learned over time? The first is you have to decide, is it a wicked problem? And I have a whole checklist of, you know, things you just go through. Are there more than one points of view? Are you stuck? You know, is everybody blaming everybody else because you can't solve it? Are there many dimensions? Is the problem clear? If you look at the clear problem, does six people, is it the same? <laughs> so there's all this checklist you go through. Is this a wicked problem? Now, once you know it's a wicked problem, then you actually visualize the desired outcome because you have to get into a different mode. So we have monological thinking, which is what my degrees trained me to do, where I sit here and I look at the world and I study the world and I come up with a nice, neat solution for the world. Then there's a dialogical way of thinking. That means I'm interacting with the world. And as I do that, the world changes. And then there's translogical thinking. Now, translogical thinking is what happens when we meditate, when we pray, when we visualize, right? Mm -hmm. We go into an altered alpha state. So the first part is you go through the sort of the rational thing and a dialogical thing, actually. Is this a wicked problem? Then we go into a translogical thing, which is, well, what's our desired outcome? I've worked with groups of people, and I'm talking about top teams of major corporations who would not get in the same room. The conflict in that team, those teams, it was more than one, that was so great that they refused to meet. Firstly, I'd get them to meet. It was the process, the one-on-one -on -one mm -hmm. process. But then I'd get them to visualise an outcome. And even if they hated each other, even if they haven't met, met for six months in some cases, they all saw the same outcome. So once we got people to see the same outcome, then you realise that you can't solve a wicked problem. There is no way to solve a wicked problem because as you work with them, they change. Mm -hmm. Right? They say you can't solve a wicked problem, you just run out of resources. So then you realise that working with wicked problems, what you're actually doing is building the capacity in the leaders. Mm. You're building the capacity in the people who are working with the wicked problem. That's the whole aim of the idea. It's not to solve the problem. It's actually to build the capacity so that whatever problem turns up, you can work with it better next time. What turned up today for you to work on, quite mm -hmm. a complex concept, but I did the merger of BP and Mobile Oil across Europe. Mm -hmm. That was a big merger. Then I did the merger of BP and Amico Oil across the Atlantic. Mm -hmm. Now, Amico did not want to be merged with BP if BP was merged with Amico, no, sorry, with whoever it was, Mobile in Europe. Mm -hmm. So then we had to go back to Europe and do a demerger. So that's a merger, a merger, a demerger. Yeah. Now, most people after that collapse, their marriages get picked, they end up in hospital, they have a heart attack, you know, they oh my retire. My people, it was the most exciting, interesting, fantastic learning time in their career. Wow. Because they weren't doing a merger, a merger and a demerger. What they were doing was learning to do work with wicked problems and the, yeah. today's wicked problem was this merger and then tomorrow's wicked problem was that merger and the whole aim of the exercise is to build the people build the relationships build the community wow. so that next time a wicked problem turns up they deal with it changing their mindset the way that they're viewing everything yeah 
And because we did it dialogically, that is, we did it in relationship, right? It, well, they're actually doing it. They're learning by doing. Yes. And they're building their relationships, building their sense of self, and they're building their capacity, and then they're taking that through the whole organisation to their people. I used to call them miracles. So mm-hmm. my clients would go from being the worst performing division in the world to the best performing division in 18 months. So they'd go from being the worst industrial site in Australia to being the world benchmark in 18 months. Mm-hmm. But it was such a different way of working that people, even today, still don't understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah? No, I completely agree. And it's interesting to me how you said to you that, you know, in going through education with your degrees, that wasn't the way that you were trained through school, it sounds like. That's not exactly true because okay. my first degree was in early childhood education. Ah. So I'm a trained preschool teacher. Okay. And we were trained to go to the child and you work with the child. So the whole concept of being a preschool teacher is to develop the capacity of the child. Mm-hmm. Still did it. They just happened to be the biggest kids in the world. Right. <laughs> That's so amazing. Thank you so much for describing this in such detail because I think it's really helpful to understand what that process is and it really has to do a lot with your work. But before we kind of jump into your work, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your journey to what has led you here today and coming at this from the consulting perspective. Well, you will not surprise you to hear that my journey has been a wicked problem. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't surprise me. I married ridiculously young, had children ridiculously young, went back to university and I actually had my first child while I was studying. Now that we're having this discussion, in the whole scheme of things, like you're actually reminding me, I was young when I started having children in the whole scheme of things. Like I realize in the rest of the world, but where I'm from, having a baby at 25 was young. It's not normally, but in the Northeast, in the US, most people are getting married mid thirties and then thinking about children. So like for me to be married and having children, you know, 10 years prior to that was sort of like the big thing. But the question is, as a mother that is having this success and also the obvious need of the children to be cared for, I'm curious, did you ever feel that strain or that stress that you feel making the choice to like step away? Or did you ever struggle with that? Kelly, I didn't have a choice. I was a single mother. You just kept going. Yeah. I always find this interesting. I just, I wonder out loud if men feel the same way, like as when you're a mother, you just keep going like, and I don't know if this is the same, if I'd be curious to know any men can send in messages and let us know, but I'm curious if it's the same. They have not a clue and they never will. No, it's so interesting how these dynamics end up playing out, but our focus and our view of life, also the perception that we have, right? I'm sure that that also affects people and how they deal with these like wicked problems, as you call them. Everyone has a slightly different view. So, so let's bring it back to that for a moment, if you don't mind, Um, because everyone has a different way. I mean, it sounds like you really have to personalize this work with each individual. I do a lot of one-on-one work, but I also do a lot of group work. Well, and I know you shared the story of this sort of like merger on merger, merger (laughs) earlier, but maybe walk us through an example story of someone that you've worked with. Like, I'm just really curious how you approach this. And again, how you approached it in the past may not be how you're going to be approaching it now, but, 
you know, let me know if there's different things too. I'll just start with saying there is a change in my way of looking at the world. Mm-hmm. And what I want to do is teach others. I want to teach the people that do want to do it, the people that do want the responsibility, and the leaders that want to make an ethical choice to work in a way that makes the world a better place. Yeah. You ask an example. So, oh, it's a long time ago now, but we had a company called Pazmuto, and it was a mining company, mm-hmm. and it was a shocker. It, it, it was that one of their mines was a place called Port Piri, and they were pumping lead out into the air, and all the kids had two or three IQ points lower than anywhere else because of the the, the lead in their blood. They had another mine called Setri Mine, which is in the middle of Australia, and basically was on Aboriginal land and the Aboriginals were sitting in and there were people (laughs) patrolling the mine with guns. I mean, it was just a horrible company. Anyway, I was brought in by the new director and I worked with him and the advisory board and the administrators. Mm-hmm. Now, there was another company called Anset, which was one of our two major airlines at the time, that went into administration on the same day. Oh. And all the staff was that. The company closed, they sold the aeroplanes, everyone. Now, mm. the guy I worked with was this guy, Greg Gailey, and he said, we are going to get this company out of administration and then we are going to restructure the lead and zinc industry globally. And Margot, you're going to do the people side. <laughs> I thought he was a nut. I loved him dearly. I'd been working with him for years. I thought he was nuts. <sighs> but that's exactly what we did. Yeah. So those 36 different lenders all took us one cent in the dollar. We came out of administration. So Pazvinko became a company called Oz Minerals. Now, how did I do that? I worked one-on-one with all those people, with the board, with each member of the top team, with the administrators. Then I got them together. We did a lot of work with the subconscious. I do a lot of Jungian sand play. We did a lot of symbolic work. We did a lot of visualising. We did a lot of honesty. And we did a lot of truth-telling, actually. I remember we were away with the board and the top team doing their strategy, and the, the chairman stood up and he said, our number one strategic issue is we will do nobody and nothing any harm. Mm. So they became Oz Minerals. No, they became Zinifex first. They became Zinifex and then they were the number one growth stock on the Australian stock market. I continued to work with them. They merged with Umicore in Europe. They set up Nearstar and Oz Minerals. Two companies mm. at the time were $6 billion. So I went into a company owing $3.2 billion, left two companies both worth $6 billion. Wow. The staff, there were more staff than before. There was no lead in blood. That's good. How long did Nobody, that take? And nothing. About five years from the beginning years. to the end. Okay. Wow. So ideally, I know we have talked about this before, but ideally now your preference is to work with these entrepreneurs that are really like social impact. Do I have that right? Not just entrepreneurs. A growing number of managing directors of big companies have a concept. Mm-hmm. You know, and they want to do something. They want to make the world a better place. Business, I have seen in my career, business can make the world a better place. It can also make the world a worse place. Unfortunately, most of us do not have the skills to help them make the world a better place. We have skills to make them feel good about themselves. Yes. And you know, yes, it's good to feel good about yourself, but not if you're telling yourself lies. Right. And so much of what's going on is we're teaching people 
to tell themselves lies and then agree with themselves telling lies and not get challenged. Right. And then we have, well, in Australia, we have all these royal commissions. I don't know what you have in America, but we have royal commissions and the royal commission says, no, they're cheating and they're lying and they're, you know, actually funding the child yeah. prostitution and goodness knows what else and they don't even know they're doing it because they've never looked. Yeah. And we've never asked them to look because we want everyone. We all, If we go in as a consultant, we want people to lie. Yeah. So you don't get people to lie to you by getting them to look at the truth. Right. I never cared if they liked me. That's why I charge so much money. You just pay me a lot of money. <laughs> I don't care. But I do care that you make yeah. the world a better place. Yeah. They made literally billions more dollars yeah. while they made the world a better place. And and that's like, it changes the perspective. It's just like a feel good. I was involved in a, it was called the Circular Economy Forum. And the idea, I don't know if you've heard of that. Yeah. It was just a fascinating concept to me. Like I've heard about sustainable and social impact and like all of these things sort of like separate, you know, but together. And this was really kind of bringing it all together. Like how can we actually do it all together and make the world a better place? And so that businesses, you know, everything along the line. And I just, it really struck me as a whole new way to consider impact at a large scale. And we can't do it by being nice. We can do it by being honest. We can do it by raising our consciousness. We can do it by working way past ourselves to the common good, but we have to do it looking at wicked problems. Yes. Because if we just look at plain problems, we narrow our perspective too much. We see this much and we, we're very – I don't know if you've seen a social dilemma, wonderful mm-hmm. new video on, on Netflix. And, you know, Facebook, most successful company in the world, or one of them at the moment, and the young men that made all this money – narrowed it down what they were doing to a very narrow thing and that very narrow thing that they have done is killing our young women yeah literally killing them or getting them to kill themselves and so harm you know increasing suicide alienation depression anxiety right and it's not that they were bad men they just had this very narrow right so if you look at the world with a very narrow perspective you may well make more money but do you really want to kill people or have people kill themselves? You want to set up a world that is literally a dangerous place for young people to grow up in? Exactly. You know? So the only way we can do it is to get people to expand their perspective. And that's about raising our consciousness in line with reality, mm-hmm. right? It's not sitting on a mountaintop meditating. I mean, there's that lovely story of a monk that was on a mountain meditating, you know, he could reached Nirvana, walked down to the village, fell over a dog and kicked it right? Reality happens. So unless you can take your nirvana with you into reality, it's not nirvana. Right. No, it's, it's so fascinating. I mean, there's so many things that are kind of coming at us these days that can really affect the way that we're navigating our life. But I, I find this approach that you have, even though it's, it's not necessarily new, right? It's just maybe popular (laughs) right now, but especially because of what's going on in this time of COVID, because I think so many people are, are struggling with how to handle what life has sort of thrown at us. And of course, everyone has different levels of struggle, right? But even for some of us who would have said that we were doing okay, it's still difficult. And this is sort of a new way of bringing in I would say a new way of learning because, you know, typically we all, especially at high levels, we all rely on sort of the traditional forms of education. Like if I'm not managing my company correctly or, you know, things start to fail, like maybe I need to go back for that MBA that I meant to do. 
But this is a, a whole new foundational, I mean, and, and quite honestly, the whole purpose of why I created this podcast was because these foundational, again, I say skills, but these foundational pieces of life help you personally and professionally. Well, what we know is you take yourself everywhere you go. So, you know, if various parts of your life aren't working, the place to, work, place to start the change is with yourself. But if it stays with you, then your ego grows. All you're doing is growing your ego. Right. And you can't really honestly face the problems that we have and embrace the magnitude of those problems from a place of ego. Mm-hmm. Is there something that you do? Like, I wonder too, because you've got, you've again, going back to your beginnings, you know, you've had challenges in your life as well. Are there things that you do now every day that, you know, help you sort of keep this really grounded in this particular type of mindset? Uh, Before I open my eyes every morning, I pray, I meditate, I visualize. And I only pray for God's will. I don't say, you know, give me another million dollars. Right. <laughs> Who wouldn't want another million dollars? I don't really need another million dollars. What, what's your will for me, God? Right. Please help me to do your will, whatever it is. And and God, just be a bit clearer than you normally are, you know. <laughs> I that every morning. I meditate every morning. And then I get up and I do my best to be of service. Mm-hmm. I help as many people as I can in a day. Yeah, I do as much as I can be of service in a day. And what I'm I'm about to do, which I'm terribly excited about, a gorgeous young man called Jason read one of my books some years ago and then set up an IT company based on the philosophy in my book. Mm-hmm. And he came to see me recently and said, you know, I would you go on my board? And I said, I'm pretty do board. You know, I've been asked a lot and I don't think, I think it, to be honest, I get too bored sitting on board. <laughs> But I said, but I have developed this sort of online program of my philosophy and what I've done and how I've turned companies around. And, but I don't really have the IT skills and it's just been sitting there. And so what happened was I developed it and my gorgeous partner died and I just mm. couldn't be bothered really. And then I remarried and I was having too much fun to be bothered. So it just sort of sat there. And he said, well, look, what we'd like to do is turn it into a, an international e-course and we're going to gamify it. Well, I didn't even know what that meant, so I got on Wikipedia and <laughs> the techniques of gaming yep. to make it interactive. Yep. So that all starting next week. Wow. So next week all his bright young people are all coming to my farm and we're having a, a workshop to work out how to take it off my computer and make it available to the world. Wow. So how about that? That is so exciting. Now, wait, which book was this based off of? In the corporate heart. Approaching the approaching. Corporate part. Okay, got it. Okay, so he based his whole company off of this, and then you had created yeah. this sort of like from that book. You created this. Well, okay, yes, I wrote that book a long time ago. But it's a basic philosophy behind what I do, and then I had all these tools, which are the tools that I use, and I put got the it. tools on an online program, okay. but never done anything with it. You know. The problem when you're really comfortable and happy and life's going your way, you kind of lose your, what I call the fire in the belly, you know? Sure. And then along came Jason and said, no, we're going to pick it up and make it available. So with skills that I, I mean, I, as I said, I didn't even know what gamifying was. I mean, I literally yeah. had the skill to do it. So there you go. This is so exciting. Now, how how will we be able to... 
like keep tabs on this work? Well, I think it's really you and I talking, and when it's ready, we'll find a way of making it available. And no, I'm I'm all for partnerships. So yeah, you know, more people we can get partnership. Let's let's do it. You know, like because I want to I want to push there. this out. Yeah. Well, you know, I've just seen miracles happen using this way of work. The only way I've, uh, there's no logical way I can describe what I've seen. Mm-hmm. And and that aluminium smelter that became the world benchmark. They built around their smelter, they were built a wetland, which was called Smelter in the Park, and they won three World Heritage Awards. Mm. They went out and they, they built houses and lived in the houses with street kids and taught them how to get jobs. <laughs> they just changed an entire, entire town. They, they had things called the Portland Speakers Circle, and they had people like David Suzuki coming into town and, and, and speaking to the local people. They put the whole town through a personal development program. They taught the local kids how to play jazz. You know, it was just unbelievable what happened. Mm. And I went into a place where literally people were dying, where literally people were in fear, where they were literally hated. And I remember years later walking through the plant with the managing director who was a great, big, blokey, Aussie sort of fella, and he said, Margot, there's love in this plant. And there was love in that plant. Yeah. There was. And I thought, the whole world could be like this. The whole world could be like this. We could all have companies filled with love, improve the environment, that improve the community, that have people flourish. I was asked to go in because Portland couldn't get anyone to stay. Two years later, the managing director of our car rang up and said, we can't get anyone to leave Portland. We don't know what you've done, but nobody will leave and we want to spread the technology that they've got. Wow. The miracle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The whole world can be like that. And that's what I think. I know some people might think when we say things like this, that we're being sort of like fluffy and out there. But in all honesty, I truly believe that too. That this this type of work, that the, you know, creating these mindsets, helping people navigate in this enlightened way, maybe I'll use that loosely, but enlightened way can change the world. And Kelly, there's nothing fluffy about making another billion dollars. There's nothing fluffy about changing an industry globally. There's nothing fluffy about doing merger, taking over a company twice the size of the company you are. That's what I've done with this technology. Yeah. And it worries the ball and the happy consequences are people feel happy. They, yeah. they grow as human beings. Their marriages improve. Their health improves. They go out and they work in the community. They start to open their mind to sustainability. Right? They're the happy consequences. Yeah. But if we go in for the happy consequence and we don't get the other stuff, you can see the business is about making money. So if you don't make money, you don't get to play the game. It's like Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Right? <laughs> if you don't end up with the money in the houses, you lose. Right. So it's not about the money in the house. It's about the community. It's about the growth. It's about making the world a better place. Right. And if you do that around what you do as a business, you make more money and, 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 and. And how many people have you met that have all of those, you know, the, the material side of it, right? That have, you know, the money, the stuff, right? That are still empty shells of a person. <laughs> I met a lot of people. So one of my clients went to Intiat and did the, oh, sorry, it was an airplane. And it's only recent. We've only we haven't been getting any aeroplanes. Oh um, no, it's only it. <laughs> Yeah, because of COVID, there was no aeroplanes flying in, and we just got one. So it's good. We're really happy to hear aeroplanes. It means the world's 
going back to normal. But one of my clients did the advanced leadership training in India. And then they went back and they met every year for about 20 years. And he said, you know, Margot, out of those 50 people, I'm the only one that's happy. And he said, you know, they all just feel like life's passed them by. They've, you know, while they're in the thick of the of business, yep. they're preoccupied. But once the buzz goes, who or what are they? Yep. But, but this fellow had with me turned around so many companies and enriched the lives of so many people, right? And he'd grown in himself, right? And I'm not talking about, now I have a deep spiritual life. This man never did and I don't think he ever will. But he's just a really solid, decent human being that makes the world a better place. Yeah. And from that place of solidness and decency, he has that inner, what is it, peace? Yes. Joy. Because if you, if you keep chasing the stuff as opposed to being fulfilled by helping the people every day, you just drain everything from you. Right. I mean, I, I did both, I have to say. I just overdid it. So one of the reasons I bought my farm and moved, I say 10 years ago, I, I moved to Byron Bay to raise grandchildren and chickens. You know, the reason I did that is I just was burnt out. You yeah. know? I had this very deep spiritual belief. I'm a yoga teacher. I'm a hypnotist. I'm, you know, I have a very deep, rich inner life. But I also had an unbelievably hectic outside life. You know, I had, I had the biggest change company in this country, right? I had all these people flying around the world and I just was exhausted and I got sick, you know? Oh, and yeah. I thought, I, I I, don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be superwoman anymore. I can't. Yeah. So, you know, I became a very unsuperwoman. And all I can say is since I've been an unsuperwoman. It's not really unsuper, though. <laughs> it's still super. <laughs> You know, it's not, one of my PAs left and set up a company called Busy and Important. You know, I'm not busy and important anymore. I'm busy, but I'm just, I'm, I'm a nana that raises chooks and grandchildren, you know. I might still mentor people around the world. I may still get to talk to people, some of the yeah. most important people in the world. But it's like, oh, well, you know, that's what I'm doing today. It's not, it's not the, the middle of my existence, you know. Right. And because of that, I mean, I'm as comfortable working with a drunk or yeah. an addict as I am working with a managing director or a, a prime yeah. minister. And they're just as important, yeah. right? It's, 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 one is no more important than the other, right? Okay. So coming from that place, I get to live in this amazing place of peace and joy and serenity, which is just I don't know, better than being exhausted, which is what I used to be. Right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I cannot blame you at all. And I, you know, the funny thing was, is that as we come close to the end of our time, Margot, I was going to say to you, are there any last parting words, but it's hard to top what you just described because you've just described inner peace. <laughs> so I look out of my window and all I see are rolling hills, trees and cows down to the ocean. That's what I see. Wow. And it's, I'd say it's 200, 280 degree view mm -hmm. from my lounge room. And I just think I live in God's world. Yep. You know, I just it sounds like it. World. So, <laughs> you know, I don't really, after the prayer and the meditation, I don't have to do much. I just got to look out the window. But I'm sure you still do a lot. Oh, I do. <laughs> yes, I'm sure you do. It sounds like you're still helping amazing people. 
Well, and it, and also I, well, I, this new course, like there's just still so many things. So, you know, I think hopefully you will never be as busy and to yourself at, to the point of burnout by any means, we don't want you to go there, but it sounds like things are maybe heating back up. <laughs> the, the, the problem, how can I put it? When you love what you are doing, you don't feel like you're doing not work. Right. But my husband looks at me and he says, you're so busy. You're so busy. And you're just doing what you love. Yep. Yep. It's sometimes I have to tell myself though, you need to walk out of the room that is my office because, you know, there are other people here. That is what pulls me out. But I mean, there are plenty of days where I completely lose track of time, you know, because it's, because <laughs> it's fun. <laughs> and for me, it's being out with people, you know, like I, I on the weekend, I addressed the community lunch. And that was just so heartwarming, you know, people living in community, working together to make the community better. Yeah. Today I'm talking to you, and I don't know how many people around the world are watching. You know, I know, right? I was talking to about the wealthiest families in the country. You know, I mean, you just do what you do. Yep. This has been so fabulous. I I so appreciate you joining me. I I really hope that you and I can still continue to have conversations. Mm. I'm really excited for what's coming up. But anyone else who's out there listening, if they want to far, follow Margot, she is available on LinkedIn. And her website, which I'm going to try to get this last name pronunciation, Margot Carnes. Close? Cairns. 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 So it's Cairns. Yes, Cairns. So See, I'm going to just spell it. I'm going to just spell it. Forget me. Don't listen to my my American accent. Margot, C-A-I-R-N-E-S.com. That's where you can find her. Definitely keep in touch because, and, and, and I'll, when I share this, I'll put in all the books because especially that one book that you mentioned, but all of them super fabulous. So keep in touch with Margot, everybody. And thank you all. Thank you all for listening into Let's Talk About Skills Baby. Thank you, Margot, so much for joining us today. Again, really appreciate the time. Love everything that you're doing. Thank you, everyone. Thanks, Kelly. You've been listening to Let's Talk About Skills, Baby, a Growth Network podcast production. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to subscribe to the podcast and share it with your community. Ratings, reviews, and suggestions are great sources of feedback and always appreciated. And please reach out and connect with me on social at Kelly Ryan Bailey. I'd love to meet you and continue the conversation. We'll be back next week with a new episode. So until then, keep growing your skills and have a great day.